So we've come to part four. You know, it's amazing how fast the week goes. But uh, part four on the ministry of the Spirit. In John 16, verse 13, Jesus said, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now this is just the next step. When Jesus was here, he spoke only those things his Father wanted him to speak. And when Jesus went back to heaven, the Holy Spirit speaks only those things that Jesus wants him to speak. That's the unity that we see between the three members of the Godhead. Now last night we started reading and thinking about when the disciples, due to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they all of a sudden started seeing the Bible as a brand new book and they started seeing all kinds of things they hadn't seen before. But we couldn't cover the whole passage, and so I want to continue where we left off. It's in Desire of Ages 508, where we'll start tonight. They're thinking this. A herald had been sent from God to proclaim the coming of Christ and to call the attention of the Jewish nation and of the world to his mission, that men might prepare for his reception. Of course, that's John the Baptist. So as they start thinking back, they think, well, God sent John the Baptist here to prepare the Jewish nation for Jesus to come? But we didn't really get it, and neither did the rest. Next step, the wonderful personage whom John had announced had been among them for more than 30 years and they had not really known him as the one sent from God. See where their thoughts are going? They're thinking, John the Baptist told us about the Messiah to come and then the Messiah came and he told us who he was, but we missed it all. Or at least, you know, 90% of it we missed. Remorse took hold of the disciples because they had allowed the prevailing unbelief to leaven their opinions and becloud their understanding. And as you go over the story, between Jesus and his disciples, you know, the Pharisees would come up to the disciples, they didn't dare ask Jesus, but they'd come up to the disciples and they would raise a question and it would make the disciples doubt whether he was really the Messiah or not. And over and over again, but now as they look back upon all that, they thought, you know, what was the matter with us? And yet, wasn't it wonderful that Jesus did not beat up on them for being so dull and so unable to comprehend. He simply said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And when 
the Holy Spirit is poured upon you, then you will understand. And sure enough, it happened just like he said. The light of this dark world had been shining amidst its gloom, and they had failed to comprehend whence were its beams. So they thought, we were so blind. The light of the whole universe was here, and we failed to understand it. They asked themselves why they had pursued a course that made it necessary for Christ to reprove them. So they were thinking wrong, they were wanting to do wrong things, and over and over again Jesus had to reprove them, and they thought, well, why? Why were we so blind that we had to be reproved? Oh, we wish we could go back, and we would not make him reprove us. They often repeated his conversations and said, Why did we allow earthly considerations and the opposition of the priests and rabbis to confuse our senses? The word why comes up often, it seems, after the Holy Spirit was poured out. Why did we do this? Why didn't we do that? And so on. We, we had enough light we we didn't need to do that now i'd like to look for a few moments at what seems to be our problem now i'm not saying specifically this church but i'm talking about us as seventh-day Adventists. we have a serious problem just as serious as what the disciples had and it's explained in Gospel Workers, it's the old version, the 92 version, and uh, it's probably some other places. Page 103. The thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us not because of any merit on our part, but as a free gift from God is a precious thought. Our natural way of thinking is that we have to deserve it by being good. We have to deserve it. But he tried, especially in 1888, he was working a little before that, but in 1888 he made a mighty effort to try to help us as Seventh-day Adventists to realize that there's no hope of us being good enough to be worth getting anything. That our only hope is for Him to give it to us. And when we get this wonderful gift and we understand it and appreciate it, we are so thankful that it makes a whole change in our experience. And now, obedience is something we still are interested in, but it flows out of love and thankfulness rather than duty and, you know, trying to be good enough to deserve something. 
the thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed. Now there's two kinds, imputed righteousness and imparted. But this is talking about imputed, what Jesus does for us, not in us, but what he does for us. Not because of any merit on our part, but as a free gift from God is a precious thought. Now, one of the indicators that we are thinking the wrong way is what we do after we sin. Some people don't confess right away because they feel bad. And they feel like they need to be good for a while before they can ask for forgiveness. If we react that way, we don't understand. We are, our mind is darkened. And what is our hope? To get the mind undarkened, it's to receive the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing, the only gift that can accomplish in us what needs to be done. Another indicator is that we feel like we have to hang our head before God because we messed up again. Well, messing up is normal for human beings. And God doesn't, you know, look down upon us because we did. He, he is very concerned if we don't turn to Him, if we don't let His righteousness take away our mistake and, you know, give us the forgiveness that He is well able to do. But we get it because of His merit, not because of our merit. Not because we deserve it, but we get it because we need it. Our need is our qualification, not our good behavior. Our need is our qualification. If we will recognize our need, and many people won't, they want to keep up the front that, well, I'm not such a bad person, you know, I'm actually a pretty good person. If, if that's the way we look at it, we don't see our need and he can't give it. But as soon as we see our need, that, oh, I'm a sinner, I messed up. But immediately, he wants to relieve us of that guilt by forgiving us <clears throat> and placing, again, his perfect righteousness in place of our failure. <clears throat> and then it makes this statement, and this is one worth memorizing. The enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth should be clearly presented. Why doesn't the devil want this truth to be clearly presented? For he knows that if the, excuse me, I spelled wrong, if he knows that if the people receive it and there's a key word there, fully, not just partially, not half receive it, but fully receive it, what's going to happen? His power will be broken. So when we understand justification by faith, as it was presented at the 1888 General Conference, and we fully receive that, 
Satan's power over us will be broken. But it has been just as hard to get the Adventist Church to see this message as it was to get the disciples to understand who Jesus really was. He was the Son of God. He was God. They kept focusing on his humanity, thinking he was going to be the next king and take the throne of David and all of that. They saw all that uh, very well, but they did not see that he was really God. And because he was really God, they didn't see what he could do for them. And they questioned what he said and so on. So this, I believe, is where we need to steady until we accept this message of justification by faith as well as the rest of it. But you can't get the rest straight if you don't have that. So, the enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth should be clearly presented. For he knows that if the people receive it fully, his power will be broken. Now I think all of us desire for Satan's power to be broken in us, right? To where we don't listen to him anymore. But that's the foundation that's going to do it. And it goes on to say a little bit more. If he can control minds so that doubt and unbelief and darkness shall compose the experience of those who claim to be the children of God, he can overcome them with temptation. So as soon as we start doubting, we're in trouble. And, and we, we doubt because we did it again. Ah, oh, we did it again. Done it so many times. And we start doubting that he will do this for us again. And the doubt leads us to a period of being down, discouraged, disheartened, maybe waiting even to ask his forgiveness because doubt has come in. And then, of course, unbelief is right next to it, and everything that we receive comes as a result of faith. And so if we have unbelief, <clears throat> then the blessing has to wait. It has to wait until we believe. And we have to believe that we can have it because we need it, not because we deserve it. We never will deserve it. Because once you mess up, you will never deserve it. Even one mistake means for, that, for the rest of your life you don't deserve it. So, you know, our case is hopeless except for what he can do for us. And so he wants us to believe that he said he would do it and he will do it. <clears throat> There's just a little bit in the next paragraph that says, that simple faith that takes God at his word should be encouraged. The simple faith that takes God at his word. He said he would do it, and so I'm going to accept it. I'm going to put my trust in it, 
because he said it. If we don't do that, you know, in reality, we're causing him a liar. And none of us would do that. None of us would call God a liar. <clears throat> God's people must have that faith which will lay hold <clears throat> of divine power. And of course, that divine power is the Holy Spirit. We've been studying that part. <coughs> now that reminded me of two texts in the Bible that we need to think about in relation to this. Paul tells us, Romans 6.14, For sin shall not have dominion over you. How could he say that? It's because he knew that when we fully receive the imputed righteousness or justification by faith, when we fully receive that, the power of Satan is broken. And as a result of the power of Satan being broken, now this can be fulfilled. Sin shall not have dominion over you. And that reminded me of this one in Matthew 18, verse 3. Jesus said, except ye be converted. Now, when a person receives justification by faith, they are converted. But conversion is a process and rather than an instantaneous. I mean, it starts instantaneous, but it is a process. And so I think what our text is telling us, the, the one uh, from Gospel Workers, is that when your conversion is complete, and from my study it seems like that on the day of Pentecost, the disciples' conversion was complete. It's not that they didn't have it before. They had it, but it wasn't full enough. But by the time of Pentecost, they had fully received the conversion. And he says, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's a hard thing for adults, to become like little children. You know, a little child, if they're standing on a wall and you ask them to jump, they'll jump. Because they trust you, that you will catch them. And children are just so trusting. He said, that's what it takes to get into the kingdom of heaven. You have to become like a little child that whatever I told you, Whatever I said is true, and you're going to trust it, and no questions about it. You're going to accept it. You're going to make use of it, just like a little child would when their parents tell them something. Now, going back to our Desire of Ages quote, it says, So that we did not comprehend that a greater than Moses was among us. They had so much, you know, it's easy to have a lot of respect for people when they're dead. And so what we find in the history of God's people is that the current instrument of God was not respected, but the past one had tremendous respect. And so they had more respect for Moses 
than they did for Jesus. But that changed now. They said he was greater than Moses. Another one, that one wiser than Solomon was instructing us. And so they had thought, well, Jesus is not as wise as Solomon, but now it's changed. And they see he was wiser than Solomon. And again, their thoughts went, how dull were our ears. How feeble was our understanding. Now, you know, this type of activity is good for a short period. Yeah. But it's not good for a long period. And that's why I think of the hydrotherapy issue or the uh, illustration that the thinking this way of how bad we are and how much we messed up for about 30 seconds and then three minutes of thinking about his righteousness and what he's done for us, that's the healthy way. But this is healthy if it's in the right perspective. How feeble was their understanding? And they thought of Thomas. Thomas would not believe until he had thrust his finger into the wound made by the Roman soldiers. But you know, they all had some doubts. He was just more vocal about it. And so as they thought about that, and just imagine how Thomas felt as he thought now about what he did back then. <clears throat> Peter had denied him in his humiliation and rejection. So once again, Peter thought, oh, what a horrible thing for me to do to God, because now their eyes were open that it was God that was among them. These painful remembrances came before them in distinct lines. They had been with him, but they had not known or appreciated him. And so the Holy Spirit's been with us ever since the Holy Spirit was sent on Pentecost. It's been with us. It's been with us in the Adventist Church, especially as the Millerite movement received again the early rain upon them. And as we watch the beginnings of the Adventist Church, we see that it continued for a period of time until about 1855, 56, somewhere like that. That's the way we were. We were receiving the Holy Spirit. But in 1855 or 6, right in there, God had to inform us that we were now the Laodicean church. Now the problem with the Laodicean church is they're not justified by faith. That's the problem. And what that leads to is Phariseeism. And so as you read about the 1880 experience, you find that God revealed to Ellen White that the problem, why there was so much resistance, was Phariseeism. And so the same problems that came upon the Jewish church have come upon the Seventh-day Adventist church. And there's only one cure. 
And that is for us to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which will correct and will look at that message and say, where were we? How come we couldn't understand it? We read Steps to Christ and we still didn't understand it. How come we didn't understand it? We're going to have exactly the same experience. And I've had some of that. Maybe we'll have more, but I've had some of that. Uh, I thought Friday night I'd tell the story about Samuel Morris because that's what God used to wake me up. And, and I began to have some of these experiences that I'm reading about as I thought about the fact that I was a preacher's son and I was a, had been a preacher for quite some time, but here was a teenager that had far more of the Holy Spirit than I ever had. And I felt totally ashamed about it. <clears throat> These painful remembrances came before them in distinct lines. They had been with him, but they had not known or appreciated him. But how these things now stirred their hearts as they recognized their unbelief. And so now things were different. And the Holy Spirit was opening up their eyes and they were seeing all these wonderful things. And while they felt bad about the past, they were praising God for what he had done and what the future held. As priests and rulers combined against them, and they were brought before councils and thrust into prison, the followers of Christ rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. <clears throat> Now, I think most of us look to the future and the persecution that's going to arise with a lot of fear and maybe even hope that we don't have to go through it. But after the Holy Spirit was poured upon them, they were changed. They didn't care. They said, it's okay if we have to suffer if we have to be brought before these councils, if we have to be put in prison, they actually rejoiced. Now, there's no one that you see that more pronounced than Paul. He, he just seems to love trouble. And if he gets in trouble, he's happy because he knows that the devil is unhappy. And this, but this was true of all the disciples uh, that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They rejoiced to prove. Here, here's the reason that they were happy. They rejoiced to prove before men and angels that they recognized the glory of Christ and chose to follow him at the loss of all things. And many people did. You know, they lost their home. They lost all their possessions, lost their job. They lost everything. But they actually rejoiced over that because they knew they were on the right side that Jesus was God 
They didn't see him as a human being now, but they saw him as God. And Jesus had told them, and so they were going to do what he said and not worry about the consequences, whether they lost everything and even lost their life. It didn't matter. So, don't worry. God has a plan through the Holy Spirit. If we will receive the Holy Spirit like he wants us to, we will be able to go through what's ahead. And we'll be praising God we can. It is as true now as in apostolic days that without the illumination of the Divine Spirit, humanity cannot discern the glory of Christ. So unless we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, there's no way we can grasp the beautiful truths of the Bible. The truth and the work of God are unappreciated by a world-loving and compromising Christianity. So it's not talking about the worldly people. It's talking about the problem with Christians. And Seventh-day Adventists are not exempt from this problem. The truth and the work of God are unappreciated by a world-loving and compromising Christianity. Not in the ways of ease, of earthly honor, or worldly conformity are the followers of the Master found. They are far in advance in the paths of toil and humiliation and reproach in the front of the battle. That's where those that are baptized with the Holy Spirit are. You know, it's so easy to stay where it's comfortable and where you don't get much of that and so on. But when we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, we're happy if God calls us in the front lines, as it were, where the paths of toil are, humiliation, reproach, we're out in the front of the battle. And why is the battle? It explains in Ephesians 6.12. Against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's why it's a battle. And we close with this thought. And now, as in Christ's day, they are misunderstood and reproached and oppressed by the priests and Pharisees of their time. And don't think they're all outside the Adventist church. Yes, there are priests and Pharisees outside the Adventist church, but they are in the Adventist church too. And so when we get on fire because the Holy Spirit has baptized us, we will start having trouble in those situations. But don't worry. It means that you're willing to follow Jesus rather than try to have a comfortable position. So may God help us, <clears throat> especially during this week, to receive a, a more abundant. We've all been influenced by the Holy Spirit. So were the disciples. 
but to receive a more abundant outpouring of the Holy Spirit.